0: Happy Fourth of July to you. It is great to be back. I want to thank Keith for bringing the word last week and uh, hope you all are having a good Fourth of July. Uh, Also, for those of you that are traveling, we pray for special uh, prayers for you. If you have friends or family that might be coming in for the weekend or here, going back or whatever, we were on our way back from our family vacation in Durango. Uh, We're in Ogallala yesterday and then drove in last night. And I don't know about you, but when we were on 80, it was just an absolute zoo. So please be careful wherever you may be traveling to or from over this weekend. Uh, Fourth of July, wonderful time. We are going to be starting, actually, an eight-week series this morning in the book of James. So if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn there. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses this morning, but to do so, I want to take a moment and I want to sort of lay some context, both as to what we're going to be speaking about, but also the context of the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. He is writing essentially to the church of which he is responsible for, which is the church in Jerusalem. This book is essentially a book of action. There are a lot of applicational things within this book of either do or don't do, or say or don't say, or be or don't be. But I want to take a moment and I want to lay a foundation for all of us because this book isn't going to encourage our hearts if we misunderstand the foundation by which we're motivated to do these things. First and foremost, what I want to tell you is this. We are not doing or not doing whatever is told to us in James in order to gain the approval of our God. So I don't want you to think that in doing or not doing these things, God is going to love you more or love you less as you move forward, trying in your own strength to do what is called of us in this book. We are saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the victory over sin because of what Jesus has done that being said on that foundation knowing that we've been saved by grace through faith in jesus our hearts are motivated through the power and the presence of the holy spirit to move in a direction to do what is called or asked in the book of james now another way to say this is this if we're saying that we're a follower of jesus and that we know jesus christ and that we understand who he is, yet we're not living out what's called of us in this book of James, we might want to look back, and I'm not God, I'm not saying that, uh, or, or going to talk about your faith, but it might be a question that you ask and say, if I really know Jesus, If the Holy Spirit really is within me, yet all I do is come and sit and do nothing, I'm not living out what is called in this book, do I really know my Savior? So those are the two dynamics that we're looking at as we look into what we're going to discover in this book. It is essentially a book where the rubber meets the road. This book is filled with applicational aspects in our life that we're called to look at, we're called to examine, we're called to strive toward because of what we've been given in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. That being said, I wanna ask you, how many of you have been going on in life, things are fine, things are organized, life is going well, and the next thing you know, something happens. There's either a trial in your life or there's a temptation in your life. Perhaps, maybe you've caused it, or maybe it just comes up. How many of you have gone through something, a trial in life that was unexpected? Pretty much everybody raises their hand. Now my next question is this, why would there be trials in our life? Does anybody want just looking at this saying, man, I just I would love to have a good trial in my life. I'd love to go through something really hard. I just can't wait for it. I just want to have something hard happen. Ooh, I can't wait to be tempted. I can't wait for that to occur. Anybody think that that's what we desire? So this morning, the question we're asking is this, that when we face trials and temptations in life, what can we learn from God? How many of you have gone through something and your first question is, why is this happening to me? Anybody ask that? The next question is, God, if you're around, why is this happening to me? The follow-up question is probably, God, because this is happening to me and I don't want it to happen, I don't know that you are around, right? A lot of times we blame God for some of the trials and the temptations that occur in our life. Oswald Chambers says it best, okay? He says this, to choose suffering or challenge or temptation or whatever it might be makes no sense at all. True? Nobody wants to be tempted. Nobody wants to have a trial. Nobody wants to suffer on their own. I've not met anyone that says, oh please, oh please, Can I go through a hard time? However, watch how he follows up with this. To choose God's will, notice the difference. To choose God's will in the midst of our suffering makes all the sense in the world. Let's camp on that for a minute. I would love to be able to stand up here and preach to you sunshine and rainbows every day. I would love to be able to tell you that when you follow Jesus Christ, your life is going to be perfect. You're never going to have any problems. You're never going to have any struggles. You're never going to have any challenges. You're never going to have any trials, and you're never going to have any temptations. But I think you're all wise enough to know that if I started to preach that, you'd say, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong because that's not the experience that I have or have had in following Jesus Christ. I'll do another follow-up question. How many of you, after placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have gone through greater challenges, perhaps, than prior to knowing Jesus? Anybody? See a lot of hands. Why? Why is that? I mean, I thought, from what I'm seeing in a lot of popular churches today, that when you follow Jesus Christ, your life is perfect, that you prosper that if you pray enough, you get what you want all the time, every time, and that God exists to please us and give us what we want, when we want, how we want, and where we want it. Right? I don't know about you, but that sounds like the prosperity gospel to me. But the reality is that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we become a follower of Jesus. We become a disciple. We become like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if we become like Jesus, it didn't end up very well for him, did it? He went to the cross scorning its shame so that what? We might have eternal life. He suffered. He went through a trial. He went through temptation so that we might have life. If we're called to be like Jesus, oftentimes what God is doing in a trial or a temptation is to mold us and to shape us more into the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. If that's the will of God, then may God's will be done. We just prayed earlier, not my will, but thy will be done. Do we believe it? Do we mean it? Or do we say it, saying, not my will, but thy will. But when my will isn't thy will, then make it my will. Friends, that's what we're talking about here. This morning, we're looking at trials and temptations and we're saying, when those things occur, which they will, the reality is they will, how can we grow in them? What can we learn? What is God doing in our life to draw us closer to him, to mold us more into the image of our savior so that we more closely reflect Christ to others who are around us? James is writing, most likely, we think, in and around 40 to 45 A.D. What we know of James is that he was martyred in A.D. 62. We also look at this book, and most scholars will put it in and around the 40 to 45 A.D. mark because of a couple of reasons. Number one, in the book of Acts, we know that the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, is not regularly mentioned or there's no sort of reference back to that which occurred in a.d 48 to 49. most likely if it was written after that we would see some reflection of that in this book why am i saying this one of the things that is interesting is if we recognize and remember that jesus died in and around a.d 30 to 33 and we realize and we date this book with good evidence that it was written in A.D. 40 to 45, we realize that this book was written only maybe 10 to 15 years after Jesus had died and rose from the grave. You look at that and you go, well, why do we need to know that? Friends, realize that the impact of what's going on and the impact that has been on the church in those years is being placed upon the church in Jerusalem. But also, it's a short time frame. How many of you, let me ask you this, went through something 10 years ago that was quite impactful in your life? Anybody? Okay, I see some hands. Could you describe it fairly with accuracy? Could you describe it with detail? Yeah, pretty much. So recognize that what's going on here when we're looking at the book of James is it's written fairly close to after all of these things have occurred. James is writing to encourage the church, encourage the saints by showing them how we're called to live for our Savior Jesus. He starts off in verse 1, and he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing essentially to the 12 tribes that are established in the Old Testament, the Jewish Christians of the day. But also remember this. How many disciples were there of Jesus? Twelve. So what we realize is is that the church has now been placed upon the people of God who are now dispersed like we are today to be encouraged in Christ, ultimately to be regathered to the kingdom of God at the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what's being discussed. He then turns and he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let's pause there for a minute. Is anybody excited when they face a trial? Does anybody have joy when they face a trial, honestly? So why would we consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds? Response or answer, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Ah, there's the answer, and we'll discuss that and develop that in a minute. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must Believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises in scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Key point verse in this pericope or part of the text. That's what everything is driving toward. Verse 12. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers or sisters. Every good and perfect gift from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like sifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Friends, why when we follow Jesus do we go through trials or struggle with temptation? James is writing right here to demonstrate that oftentimes those trials and temptations are an opportunity for us to draw closer to God, understanding who who he is, and watching his will be accomplished in our life. There's a lot that we can learn from those things, and we're going to develop that in just a minute through these following verses. First and foremost, through verses 1 and 4, what do we see? Well, in this, we can learn to grow in his likeness. Does anyone want to be like Jesus? Well, hopefully I should see some hands here. That's the whole reason that we're here. That's the whole reason that we live. That's the whole reason that we follow Jesus Christ. In being a disciple of Jesus, we're a follower of him. In following him, we are to essentially become like him. What was Jesus like? He was tempted. He went through trials. He suffered. And so in that, we read the following aspects. Number one, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Why? This morning, could it be that the trial or the temptation that you're under is an opportunity to grow you in your faith or in your relationship with Jesus Christ or to develop your trust in him? Let me ask you another question. How many of you, in following Jesus, went through a trial? See a lot of nods. After that trial, after that temptation, in continuing to follow Jesus, is your faith stronger, more developed, more mature, or is it weaker or wavering or non-existent? I would say it's the former, not the latter. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. So the trial, even though it's hard, the temptation, even though it's difficult, is a good thing because what? It's drawing us closer to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. Case in point, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Friends, I would love to tell you that the Christian faith is a sprint. All you got to do is get 50 yards and you're good to go. But the reality is, is that the Christian life, walking with Jesus, it's a marathon. That metaphor is developed throughout Scripture. It's a long haul. It is a long race. It is a beautiful but sometimes arduous path in continuing to follow Jesus and persevere in faith. But also, what? The reward that we have been given is worth everything times 10. Continues on and it says, okay, so if we are tested and it develops perseverance, notice the following. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. So let me ask this another way. Does anyone want to be mature and complete in Jesus Christ? Okay, So if I see that the answer is yes, in order to be mature and complete in Jesus Christ, you must persevere. You see that? If you must persevere, what must I persevere in? Trials and temptation. So if you want to be mature in Jesus Christ, you must persevere in order to persevere or whatever it is you are going to persevere in, there must be trials and temptation, ah, God's will be done. Do you see how much more Oswald Chambers' statement makes sense when we recognize that in order for God's will to be done, trials and temptation in our lives actually develop us in maturity in our faith toward Jesus Christ? And in developing our maturity and faith in Jesus Christ, what? We actually shine more brightly for him Let me ask you another question. How many of you know someone who has gone through something very gut-wrenching in following Jesus Christ and you've watched them go through it and you've watched their faith and their faith is strong. You see them growing and that encourages and inspires and motivates you because of what you see in them. How many of you want to go to somebody that you're struggling with? Let's say you're going through a trial, right? And you go to another person who, now, please, this is an illustration, who doesn't have any problems. Now, that's just not true. We all have challenges and temptations. But this person, no problems, nothing difficult. You go to them and you say, hey, I'm really going through something hard here. Can you encourage me in it? And they're like, well, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I've never really experienced it. My life is perfect. I've never had any problems right? How is that going to go? Versus you go to someone and you say, you know what? I'm going through something very hard, or I'm going through a temptation, and they say, you know what? I had a similar experience, or I went through the same challenge, or I had the same struggle, or something close. And this is what God did, and this is how I trusted him, and this is how it worked, and this is how I saw God in faith work in my life, are you going to be more motivated and encouraged by that individual than the one who says, you know, never really struggled, never really suffered, you know. I'll pray for you, good luck. God bless you. Right? It makes us grow in his likeness. Now notice, I say in his likeness. Well, wait a minute. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Well, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that testing of your faith develops perseverance. Jesus was never tempted, was he? There should be a resounding, that's not true. Of course he was tempted. He was tempted by the enemy 40 days. Basically, hey Jesus, look out over there. All you gotta do is bow and worship to me and all the kingdom of the land will be yours. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's not a big deal. Nobody will notice. Nobody will have a look. Of course he was tempted. Jesus was never tried, was he? No, of course not. Friends, Jesus went through the most unjust trial ever, period. Anyone who is a legal attorney and reads the historicity of what occurred in that trial of Jesus would be screaming bloody murder. It was the most unjust just trial ever and friends that should ring in our hearts particularly as americans because we all want what justice a fair trial we deserve it we believe that we want it and what did jesus do when he went through that trial did he scream bloody murder did he say this is unjust did he say this is wrong did he say all of the legal systems that have been placed are incorrect No, what do we read? Prophetically, he was what? Silent as a lamb. He didn't say anything. He knew, trust me, Jesus was smart enough to know that his trial was unjust. Why? Because he's the author of humanity. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. But he didn't say anything. So friends, if we want to be like Jesus, he was tried, he was tempted, and he persevered. Friends, what do we sing? He could have called 10,000 angels when he's on the cross. At any point in time, Jesus could have said, it's enough, I'm done, I don't want to die, they're not worth it, this isn't what needs to happen, I'll do it a different way. But what does he say before he goes to the cross? He says, Father, if there's any other way, then may it be so. But if not, what? Thy will be done. And what does he do? We read in Scripture, he endures the cross, scorning its shame, so that we, who put him on the cross anyway, may have eternal life. Wow. That's perseverance. That's a trial. That's temptation. And Jesus endured it all so that we might have life to be free from our sins to inherit the kingdom of God, to have eternal life, to no longer fear death, to know that our inheritance is secure. If we're to be like Jesus, when trials and temptation comes, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, because we're being molded into the image of our savior, Jesus Christ. Made more like him. Perseverance, verse 4, must finish this work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Friends, when a trial comes, the first thing that often we should say is, God, what is it that you're doing to draw me closer to you? Not, God, why is this happening to me? We learn to grow in his likeness, but also in verses five through eight, we learn to trust in his wisdom. How many of you, after having gone through these trials or these temptations, have looked back and you realize, you know what, God knew it better than I did. God was wiser than what I had thought or the plan that I had made. God knows, God's wise. We learn to trust in who he is. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Quick question. When you go through a trial or a temptation, are you asking God for wisdom? Or is it, yeah, I'll do what I need to do. I'll try to figure this out. I can figure it. I can do it. I'll make it happen. And then when things begin to fall apart, or they continue to fall apart, do you then turn to God and go, oh, Maybe I should talk to you. Maybe the first response when we go through a trial or temptation is to say, God, yeah, I know this is hard. I know I'm either tempted or I'm going through a trial. Lord, give me wisdom. Guide my heart. Give me whatever it is to walk through this so that I might glorify you. God loves to give good gifts to his children of those whom ask him for those gifts. He's not gonna say no. But then the next thing that we need to look at is this. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I'm not saying that this is easy to do. There's times where we have to walk by faith and not by sight. But one of the things that I would say is this. If you have looked at who God is, if you look at his character, if you look at how he loves you, if you look at what he desires for you, if you understand and know what you're destined for, which is the kingdom of God as a adopted son or daughter with the full inheritance that is given to his children, then in this, wouldn't you trust the wisdom of God? and say, God, give me the wisdom that I need and then not doubt what's going on because you know that God is moving and growing you in your faith? Give me wisdom, God. Okay, here it is. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. I doubt what's going on there. I'm gonna go on my own way. I'm gonna go on my own understanding. Do you see how that creates someone who's dumb-minded, as James says, and then is unstable in all that they do? True stability comes when we trust the wisdom of what God gives. The ESV study Bible says this, Wisdom, as in the Old Testament, is a God-given and God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues in life. Wisdom comes from prayer for God's help. Help me, God. Help me give me wisdom in whatever it is in the trial or the temptation that may come toward you. We learned to trust in his wisdom. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man unstable in all that he does. And then he transitions, and he says, "...the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business." Friends, when we look at trials, when we look at temptation, one of the things that we also learn is to rely upon his resources. That which God gives. James essentially is saying, look, number one, those who are, quote unquote, in a lower economic position should take pride in who God is. But those that are in a higher economic position should recognize that everything that they have has been given to them by God. And at the end of the day, like James is writing, what? Simply said, summarized, you can't take it with you. Right? We all know the analogy. How many people, when we see them going to the graveside, have all of their possessions lined behind them? Well, I'll tell you this, we see that with the Egyptian culture and the pyramids, Right? Not a genius, but I'm gonna tell you that as they go into some of these temples, all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the jewelry, all of the wealth, it's still there. And so what is being said here is friends, learn to rely upon the resources of God. If you're in a low economic position, praise God because he cares for you. He will supply your needs. If for some reason you are abundantly in wealth, Remember who the one is who has put you there, God. And recognize that in that, at the end of the day, at the end of the road, at the end of your life, whenever that may be, here's what we see. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Now, I'm not saying that if you're wealthy that you need to be worried, but recognize in the sense of who God is and the favor that God gives. It all draws us to the point of learning to rely upon the resources that God gives. So as we have walked through this, we've seen, number one, we learn how to grow in his likeness. Number two, we can learn to trust in his wisdom. Number three, we can learn to rely upon his resources. But then, verse 12, like I said earlier, is the crux of this passage. We learn to live for his reward. How many of you are wanting to live for the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Right? Right here, verse 12, says, blessed is the man or woman, okay? Blessed is the man or woman in Christ who perseveres under trial. Let me stop for a minute. Watch this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Unjust trial of Jesus on the cross, physical agony. Did Jesus ever say, that's it, I'm done? No. We become blessed because of what Jesus has done for us. Similarly, as we grow in our faith, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Purpose, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Go back to Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he what? went to the grave, rose from it again, triumphed over sin and death, so that what? We can receive the crown of life that's stated right here. So if we want to be like Jesus, we can emulate the path of Jesus when we go through a trial. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Let me say this another way. Friends, oftentimes we wonder are we a follower of Jesus Christ? You want to know if you're an authentic follower of Jesus Christ? It's when you go through a trial and you persevere trusting in the will of God. That's a darn good indicator that you are a follower of Jesus. That is a good indicator that you will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the purpose. We learn to live for his reward. Father, at the end of the day, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Sure, I have hearts, desires, wants, I have a plan in my brain of how I would love to see my life go and hopefully, prayerfully, maybe it will. Maybe, like I've said before, I'll pastor this church for a while, someday retire, move out to some mountain place and the end of my days, I'll be skiing down some mountain somewhere and God will just swiftly take me away. It's a great plan, isn't it? Not my will, but thy will be done but I know regardless of what occurs this side of glory, that because of who I am and because of my following of Jesus, that as I persevere under whatever trials may come for the will of God, I will ultimately receive the crown of life that God has what? Promised to those who love him. So we learn to live for his reward. And then finally, we see that ultimately we learn how to triumph over temptation in following Jesus Christ in the verses 13 through 18. James continues on and he says in 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So the first things that I want to show you in this is that God allows tests and trials, but God does not tempt us. Nobody can say, God made me do it. You move in a sinful way. You struggle in sin. You are caught in that sin, you cannot say, God made me do it. That's not in God's nature. That's not who God is. That's foundational to recognize that it's our hearts that draw us away from God, not God's heart drawing away from us. Why? Think back, you go through a trial, you go through a temptation, oftentimes we say, well this stinks, my life is hard. Because my life is hard, or because this trial is enduring, God must not be there, or the next thing, God does not love me. God absolutely loves you, if you're his child. He died for you so that you might have eternal life. God's love always and will endure because he's promised it so. So in this, when you're in that trial, first and foremost, we realize that God will allow tests and trials like he did with Job, but he's not the one that's tempting. And then he continues on in verse 14, and we see this. Each one of us is tempted when? By... His own evil desire take the ownership. he is dragged away and enticed. So the next thing is, is that we are the ones that are dragged away by our own evil desires. We move towards sin. We commit sin. It's our own heart that is doing that. And then watch what happens. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. Friends, let me ask you this. When individuals are caught in sin, right, there is always a path that has gotten them there. It isn't that they're going along completely innocent, doing their thing, and the next thing you know, boop, they're in sin, and they did nothing on their own. I'm going to give a real life example. The guy's on a business trip. Some cute girl winks at him. He's married. It's not his wife. Trial number one. It ends in an affair. Let's just, I won't go through the details, but the guy's not just innocently sitting in the bar and the next thing you know, he's in the affair. There are trials and temptations all along the way in which that individual could say no. Take that all the way through. There is onus in the moments of which we are caught in our sin. Extrapolate that through all kinds of examples. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Friends, read the beginning of Proverbs. Read the allure of the female. Looking so good out there. But what we read in Proverbs is, as the closeness of that woman comes, it what? Leads to death. That's exactly what's being stated here. Friends, we're not doing our own thing, and the next thing you know, we're in sin. And we say, I was just doing my own thing, and the next thing you know, I was in sin. God must have made it happen. No, we chose that. Why are we also camping on this? I want to just take a minute. How many of you out there today have seen someone who's gotten caught in something, whatever it might be, fraud, okay, an affair, business this, business that, whatever it might be, right? They're... Caught, and they come forward and they give an explanation, not an apology. Why do I say that? So often it's, oh, blah blah, blah blah blah, but that, this, they do they do, there blah, blah, no. I did it. I sinned. I'm the one to blame. I apologize. I caused the problem. I own it. We don't see that much anymore, do we? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're seeing. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Friends, we... See, particularly in verse 15, evil desires give birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. And then in 16 and 17, we are not to be deceived as every good gift is from above. Look at it the other way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God isn't going to give us a bad gift. That's not in his nature. Bad comes when we choose in our own evil desires to be enticed by sin to then sin to have sin lead to death. Verse 18 We are chosen to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Guys, how do we know How do we have life? How are we born in Jesus? How do we live for Jesus Christ? Do we just do it on our own? No, we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we know about the Holy Spirit? Through the word of God. Friends, how do we know the word of God? We read it. We study it. We allow it to apply to our life. And then it molds and shapes us into the image of our Savior Jesus. What I want to encourage you in is this. Friends, if you want to be drawn closer to Jesus Christ, coming to church is a great thing. Hearing a pastor give a message is a great thing. But that's not enough. It's not. Reading God's word, studying it, and allowing it to soak into your life allowing it to mold you into the image of Jesus, is what brings greater birth, greater maturity, greater understanding, greater perseverance. He who chose to give us birth through the word of truth, Jesus, because Jesus is the word, but also the word, the written scriptures, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. What's the purpose here? So in the end, We're a follower of Jesus. We're a first fruit for all has been created. We are the image of Jesus Christ so that others might see Christ in us. Friends, we learn to triumph over temptation, and we remember that God allows tests and trials, but he does not tempt us. That we are dragged away by our own evil desires, and that those evil desires can give birth to sin, and when it does, sin ultimately gives birth to death. That we're not to be deceived. Because God is the only one who will give good gifts. God doesn't give us bad gifts. But remembering and recognizing that ultimately we are chosen, we are being created in the image of God, we are followers of Jesus to bear fruit for his kingdom, not our own. Summarizing all of this, why do we go through trials and temptations? Why are they there? The end that I want to encourage you with is this, that when trials and temptations in life occur, there's an opportunity that we can learn to grow, trust, rely upon, and live for the promises of God and ultimately the rewards of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and we just thank you for this book of James, a very practical book, a very applicational book in our lives. This is essentially where the rubber meets the road. This book is written uh, essentially to encourage those that are in faith of Jesus Christ to look and recognize, do their lives reflect that? Father, help us examine our hearts and our lives. May we look deep into our hearts, into our souls, and say, Lord, are we really living out what we profess, what we believe? Father, it's one thing to essentially hear the word, It's a whole nother to hear and then believe and be the word, to be Jesus to other people. So in that, Lord, I pray that as we travel through the book of James, as we look at some of these applications that might prick our hearts, that might challenge us, rather than rejecting or rather than fearing, we would recognize that in the love of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we humbly bow before him, he can draw us more and more into the image of our Savior. And perhaps in doing so, that may mean that we endure trials or temptation. But Father, when we look to you and we ask you for your strength, we recognize that as we persevere, perseverance develops maturity. And maturity in the end is what God is after. And so Father, with it, we just thank you not sure where we might be in our lives. Some of us might be going through a trial right now. Some of us might be going through a temptation. What I do know is all of us will go through a trial or a temptation at some point in our lives, probably multiple. And with it, Lord, I pray that as we do, we would look to you. We would ask for your wisdom. We would ask for your guidance. We would trust in what you are doing. And in that, we would see you work through us. We would see your goodness, your love, your mercy, and your grace and that that would then continue to embolden us and mold us more in the image of our Savior Jesus, and that in that, others would see Christ through us so that you might receive the glory. Lord, we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and all God's children say, Amen.